I'm Kat Morgan and this is On The Ark, where we embark on a journey to discover the power of lived experience and the transformative stories that shape our paths. In a world where connection and understanding matter more than ever, we'll explore the diverse narratives of recovery and chances for change. Let's set sail because the voyage into the heart of lived experience begins right here, right now. Hi, I'm Kat. Welcome to the first episode of On The Ark. On The Ark is a podcast about coming together to share collective wisdom from the lived experience community. We'll share stories of lived experience of mental distress, of recovery, and we will explore alternatives to the medical model, talking to people who've been there and people who are creating change. It's hosted by me, Kat. Um, I have my own lived experience of mental distress. Each episode will follow two guests, one who will share what they have learnt through their own experiences and, and the other who will talk about pra- practical ways that change is coming and how as a community we can move away from the medical model and utilise the power of people who have been there. This podcast is made possible by the lived exp- 100% Lived Experience Organisation Aspire Recovery Connection, also known as ARC. A big shout out to them for helping make this podcast happen. There's some great guests coming up today. First, we're going to talk to Kate. and She's going to talk about her lived experience of distress. And we're also going to talk to Tanya, who will talk to us about the alternative to suicide approach. First, let's hear, let's hear from Kate. Oh, yeah, I have been working here um, with the ARC Aspire Recovery Connection probably oh, for over six months now and I've absolutely loved being part of the work culture mm-hmm. um, and being part of the community and and uh, yeah and I work here as a counsellor and, mm-hmm. and I have my own lived experience as well. What I love um, love to do outside of um, it's my own lived experience journey that I've been on is um, I live into my garden, into my veggie and herb garden. And I just find, um, yeah, just the veggies and um, just really connect to the earth and the soil and the smell of it all. Um, just to be, yeah, just really grounding. Um, so we're in moving into to the colder season now with winter just around the corner. So at the moment I've still got my um, my spinach and silver beet going. Mm. Potatoes are still coming up the last harvest. Mm. Um, and I've just planted some broccoli and cauliflower. Yeah, today we've got Kate, who's going to share a lived experience sort of story with us. What kind of like media have you been consuming lately? Like books or podcasts or like TV shows? It could be like mm-hmm. mental health related, not mental health related. Mm-hmm. Like, just anything you've been like enjoying. Yeah, yeah. I yeah lately I've been something I've been doing over the last couple of months is I've been diving into listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so I've been doing that on my way to work and um, and from work. Mm-hmm. And one of the podcasts that I've been really enjoying at the moment mm-hmm. is it's actually one from Brene Brown called yeah. um, Unlocking Us, Unlocking mm-hmm. Our Humanity. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I just really love um, the guests that she also invites in and mm-hmm. just really diving into their stories and, mm-hmm. and what's brought them to that place of 
where they are with their humanity and and what they're bringing to the world around them. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, I've been watching lots of Doctor Who recently, oh, <laughs> which lovely. is really good. Yeah, and also reading a book by oh, now I'm gonna forget. It was it's called Atlas of the Heart. Beautiful. Um, and it's just yeah. like a book all about. Um, it's basically like it has yeah. sort of a section for all different types of emotions. What sort of like encourage you to come in and be on the podcast like and how are you kind of feeling about being on the podcast yeah um i i enjoy being part of a community where um we can learn from each other like mm. what we're doing here mm. i think there's all there's always something that we can um just learn from each other's experiences and mm. stories in life everyone's got a story mm. to, to mm. share um mm. and how i'm feeling um I think there's just there's a bit of joy there for me mm. in just yeah connecting with you and um, yeah having this conversation. Yeah, looking forward to hearing a bit more. Speaking of hearing a bit more, like just jumping sort of right in, and without going into necessarily like you don't have to go into any particular detail about your lived experience journey yet. But what have you learned along that journey that's kind of that continues to like serve you today or gives you some sort of spark or you know. Mm. Yeah, I think part of my lived experience um, was actually something that really brought me to my knees um, in my um, early 30s. And mm. I yeah, really went through some burnout and, mm. um, and chronic fatigue there mm. to a point where I was actually bedridden for about 12 months. Mm. So, so in that, um, oh gosh, that cocoon of... <laughs> Of that healing um, and and recovery, it just really taught me to um, to to kind of just respect the pace mm. that my body um, and mind needs to go at in that healing process, and mm. and it also taught me to probably just to lean in and and even rest into my vulnerability in that time when I was probably at my lowest and. Mm. Um, and there was just and just when just such an unknown of how long mm. that healing or recovery um, path can take, mm. and I think from that place of being able to lean in and rest in that vulnerability, it mm. um, uh, yeah that's the turning point in that healing journey for me was it mm. allowed me to connect in with my strength and humanness mm. and be okay with that. Yeah, no, yeah. I like I like that. And what's I mean, I guess sort of if you want to add anything else about like strengths or the strengths that you've kind of been able to build upon through that experience, is there anything else you want to add about like, yeah, about strengths? I think, you know, from being able to connect into that place of my vulnerability, mm. even now if I'm going through, you know, passages mm. of, of distress or um, uncomfortableness, mm. um, it's, you know, it's taught me to, to be comfortable with being vulnerable and mm. awkward in mm. those moments awkward, and brave yeah. and and courageous and kind with myself and I think mm. from this place it allows me to um, to be able to connect in with with another's humanity um, mm. and really sit with them be with them in that um, embrace. and what's been like the hardest or the most challenging thing about um, experiences or like living with sort of like that distress Mm, I think for me the um, it's the unknown of how long that wave of distress mm. will last for, yeah. um, and again being being okay with 
not knowing, not having mm. the answers. Mm. Um, and then so, and I think it's what, what also taught me through my healing process, um, in process with, um, you know, with burnout and chronic mm. fatigue was being able to allow myself to rest within and connect mm. in with my stillness and mm. um, to know that, you know, that's where a lot of our inner knowings and wisdom... Mm, and not have to be running recently. around all the time and... Being busy, doing things and being busy or yeah. seeking that external you know um answers from outside of me or mm. yeah mm. yeah and then yeah what kind of things have sort of been helpful along the way what's or like either within yourself or like other things like coping things or yeah. outside of yourself or yeah yeah so for me what the, one of the biggest things that really helped me through that um mm. Know, dark night of the soul or that mm. you know that, that, that real hard time that I went through mm. in that healing recovery journey was mm. actually cultivating a sense of kindness and compassion mm. and finding even just the smallest of things you know just mm. something that I was thankful for at mm. the end of the day um, just yeah. to kind of you know just get myself through mm. that day or that moment mm. yeah mm. and then what kind of things haven't really helped or you haven't found helpful that maybe you thought were going to be helpful or yeah sometimes like, I always find you know one some of the things that I do find helpful um even like from day-to-day living is you know mm-hmm. is connecting in with a really good friend and mm-hmm. and having mm-hmm. having those conversations and um and just support but sometimes um, when I have been you know some challenging times sometimes mm-hmm. if I have maybe connected with someone what hasn't been helpful is when perhaps I've heard my distress and then mm. they've gone straight into trying to fix it mm. rather than mm. just just just, just being there. Yeah. Um, if you could talk to your younger self or yourself at the start of your experience, mm. what would you say? <laughs> that it's okay to be not okay. Mm. Or it's all part of becoming comfortable with um, being mm. that it's and to respect um, my own mm and some days are going to be harder than others mm. and some days you know there will be there will be the sunshine that mm. can carry you through to the yeah. next day yeah and then the last one we're asking all of the guests kind of a play on mm-hmm. the name of arc uh being arc like the boat if there was one thing that you could you would take and one thing you could leave behind from like the help you've received or the conversation, like experiences you've had, mm-hmm. um, what would they be? So yeah, what would you take with you if the world was flooding and you couldn't? <laughs> and what yeah, and what would you just leave behind? Yeah, um, for me, I would, um, with a whole lot of gratitude, I would take um, mm-hmm. the people's um, genuine kindness and compassion mm-hmm. and generosity with me, mm-hmm. and share that with others. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would leave behind would be people's well intentions to help me through trying to fix mm. <laughs> my distress mm. um, or um, any judgment and unkindness um, mm. that may have been projected mm. towards myself and the path that I've walked today. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for sharing a bit with us and like coming on the, on the first episode of the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Kat. Thanks so much.
I use the pronouns she and her. Although sometimes I've had people say that use they them for me and I don't take offence. I find it like actually very respectful because I think at times my gender expression is quite masculine. So I just feel validated in that. Um, I don't like he, him pronouns that he used for me. Um, something that we ask in Ultra Zoo, which is what we're going to be talking about, is where do you feel most connected? And my answer is that I feel most connected in nature. So that's a bit about me is I really like nature. So I like camping and um, hiking and foraging lately has been fun. We've been going and getting blackberries a lot. Um, and I like going to the beach. I live near the beach, so I go... I used to go fishing a lot more, but recently I've become a mum, so I don't um, get to go as often as I like to, but hopefully that will change soon when we can teach him how to fish as well. I'm here with Tanya. Um, like, what media have you been into lately? Like I was saying before, I've been re-watching Doctor Who yes. and also listening to an audiobook of Brene Brown doing The Atlas of the Heart. Yes, I've got yes. that book at home. So, it's so nice. Yeah, what have you been into lately with like podcasts, books, movies, that kind of thing? I listen to the podcast um, Glennon Doyle, um, which is We yeah, Can Do Hard really Things. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I listen to that a bit. Um, not recently. Recently I've been more listening to um, On My Drive and My Commute um, because... There's like a viral song that's come out called um, If I Were a Fish or something like that. And so it reminds me of the Juno soundtrack. So I've been listening to like a bit of Kimmy Dawson and stuff like that because um, it reminds me of this viral song. Yeah. Nice. And then moving through to like why you're here as our guest, mm -hmm. um, sort of what is alternative suicide or the shortened version of to sue is it yeah. yeah so like tell us about it um how long how does it work how long has it been around yeah so alternatives to suicide is an approach um to people in distress or crisis um it comes from the united states um from a place called wildfire alliance which is a little bit like leland so where i work leland we're the peak body of lived experience in south australia and wildfire is a little bit like that in that we don't like to call ourselves at Lowen the consumer peak body. We prefer to say peak body for lived experience. And Wildflower have a similar mission statement where they list things like oppression mm. as experiences that people who come to them might have been through. Um, they also offer services, so they offer a lot of groups and stuff, which Lowen doesn't do outside of Ultrasu. So mm. alternatives to suicide come from the hearing voices groups. Mm -hmm. So hearing voices groups um, are where a group of voice hearers come together and um, listen to each other and are able to speak pretty openly about their voices. So Optusu is the same except for people who have a lived experience of suicide. So you can come in and speak openly about your suicide thoughts or experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time people don't actually talk about that, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> people talk about cats a lot and... Uh, <laughs> things on tv and you know all sorts of things but not really suicide all that often mm, interesting i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't have picked that side and like oh you think they would actually talk about like the distressing things but maybe cats is the answer <laughs> i mean that's not to say people don't come to stress but that's not all we talk about i think mm -hmm. like yeah. by allowing um 
there aren't any rules on what you can talk about so you can talk about method if you wanted to mm-hmm. the only i guess rule there's no hate speech but that's more enforced as a community so if yeah, people yeah. find something upsetting with us well they would ask the mm-hmm. person to stop talking about that but mm-hmm. um yeah so i think by making all topics open mm-hmm. people talk about them for a little while and then they're like oh yeah I got that out, <laughs> now let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, cool, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. And then how did you get to be involved in this? How did you fall into this role, I guess? So um, when I first started working at Leland was in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, formally, I was a volunteer for Leland before that. Um, but in 2020, I was a project worker for yep. a suicide prevention project called Learning from Lived Experience. Mm-hmm. And that project we made a film called care not treatment mm-hmm. um, which interviews 11 people with lived experience of suicide yeah and we also did some surveys and mm-hmm. from that work some things that we heard from people who had this lived experience was that risk assessment is really not helpful yeah <laughs> um, and in fact quite harmful same with forced mm-hmm. treatment mm-hmm. and then what people wanted was more lived experience workers because they wanted mm-hmm. to be listened to and listened to non-judgmentally and another big thing that came out of that was that trauma was really highly correlated to mm. feelings of suicidal distress. So it led to a lot of different advocacy around alternatives to ED and trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. But one of the big things that led to was trying to get alternatives to suicide from the US over to South Australia. Yeah, cool. Um, what are the philosophies or values? I mean, you've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but like the underpin, like this approach. Yeah, so there's actually a charter. <coughs> Excuse me, I'll say that again. <laughs> there's actually a charter uh, for alternatives to suicide groups. And um, there's four big values. So one is responsibility to and not for or over. Another one is consent and choice, responses to injustice and healing in communities. So responsibility too is my favorite old to see value by mm-hmm. far um because it's so different to the system at the moment uh like normal system responses to suicide are real responsibility for or over like really taking uh, control of someone's actions right at that sort of hairy end when they're feeling quite distressed mm-hmm. and i would say that our current responses to suicide are more like suicide intervention we're not doing too much about the distress that leads someone to feeling suicidal Mm -hmm. but just intervening when they're about to attempt or have attempted yeah Um, so that uses a generally force which is responsibility over people Mm -hmm. Um, but suicide uh, alternatives to suicide groups and you can use this approach one-on-one with people as well Mm -hmm. um, comes from a responsibility to someone approach so that means our facilitators who all have a lived experience of suicide for the 90 minutes of the group they have a responsibility to the people that come to hold space for them to Mm -hmm. sit and listen without judgment Mm -hmm. and to not offer any unsolicited advice or solutions which is important Mm -hmm. Um, but then after that 90 minutes they don't have any responsibility to them Mm. yeah like it's just in that moment and like holding space in that group yeah so One of the ways that I think about it, because it's quite hard for our facilitators, mm. actually, because mm. people worry, <laughs> like they're doing yeah, this because they yeah. care for people. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I liken it to is um, maybe some, it's not a really good analogy, but um, when sometimes when I've been in a club or a pub and I go to the bathroom, someone's quite upset 
and in that moment like they might be crying because they've just had a breakup or they've seen their ex on the dance floor or something like that and in that moment in the bathroom you um, will chat to them in fact like quite a few people usually gather around them it's been my experience yeah um but then after that moment of holding space in the bathroom they disappear and Mm -hmm. you may not ever see them again yeah and we don't tend to in situations like that keep worrying about that person and Mm -hmm. so that's how I try to view Ulta Sue groups that it's mm-hmm. just about that moment. Yeah. They might come back for next week, they might not, but mm. our responsibility to them was just for that moment. Mm. Cool. And then again, I feel like we've kind of already touched on this. How is it you have definitely, but if you <laughs> want to expand on it more, how is this different from a mainstream, mainstream quote unquote mental health sort of approach or how the majority of the current system kind of works? Yeah, so something that we go through in Altasu training or when conversations, which is Altasu training for one on one, is that risk assessments in the literature actually um, you can see that they're only about 50% effective at predicting suicide. So they're really mm-hmm. only as effective as someone um, flipping a coin. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, we don't we don't do them because we think um, that if you get it wrong, it's quite harmful to the person mm-hmm. who's receiving the forced treatment. Um, and we think that there are better ways. So uh, the biggest difference, I guess, is that we don't do risk assessment at all in these groups. The groups are anonymous. We don't even take registration or uh, people don't even have to give us their real name. Mm-hmm. So because of that, because we don't know if they've given us their real name, we don't have any registration details, we couldn't even take any action if we wanted to so we can't really call mental health triage because we don't know anything Mm. about that person except Mm. maybe a visual description but Mm -hmm. for our online groups sometimes people come on and they don't turn their camera on or their microphone so you have zero description (laughs) their username yeah um so that means that because we can't take any action there's no point in doing a risk assessment and Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a real unlearning because mm. in my past jobs, I have been trained in risk assessment and I, mm. um, when I first started facilitating groups, I found myself like falling into those patterns of thinking, like looking mm. out for uh, warning signs. Um, and then I reminded myself, no, we're not doing that here. And I mm. fell into uh, the approach that we use for Ultrasu, which is called VCVC. So that's mm-hmm. validation, curiosity, vulnerability and community. So um, don't have to think about that acronym too much, but I definitely thought about it when I was starting to fall into risk assessment habit. And uh, yeah, and people will tell you and make their own choices for what they want to do next. You don't have to make them for them. And then who is it for? And if they want to, how can people get involved? Um, so Ultasu groups are for anyone with a lived experience of suicide. That doesn't have to be that you're currently having suicidal thoughts. Um, although for some people that is a regular thing and um, we don't have any rule. Like uh, one person in America that does Ultasu says, it's not like we stand at the door and ask, like, have you tried it yet? There's no rule around what a definition of lived experience of suicide is. Mm-hmm. Um, people can self-define. I think it's a good space to connect with people who maybe are like-minded to you if you're someone who feels that the current system isn't working. Mm. 
and you want to talk about different ways that we can get back to our community and connecting mm. with each other again and feel less isolated, then I think it's a good place to go whether or not you're currently having suicidal thoughts. It doesn't matter. Mm. Touching on how people might want to get involved, is there like a cost? Is it in person? Is it online? Like are there any particular barriers people, you know, might come up against trying to access Obviously. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it had never even occurred to me that people might be expecting a cost. They're all free, um, all run by volunteers, and we've been very lucky that our venues for the in-person groups are all offering us their rooms pro bono, which is nice. Mm. Um, so there's no cost associated, no registration, as I said, but you can um, follow Lelan on Facebook and you'll get a reminder of what groups are coming up that week. Mm-hmm. That's probably the easiest way. We also have a website uh, that has a calendar of all the groups on for the month. If you're mm-hmm. not on Facebook, you could mm-hmm. go that way. Yeah. Uh, we have a mixture of in-person and online groups. Um, How important is it that it exists? I think from my own lived experience, really important because I've had um, situations when I was feeling suicidal uh, where forced treatment was used on me and it was really harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more than that, I've had... I can think of just one example where I wasn't even particularly feeling suicidal, but yeah. I wanted to talk about it with someone yeah. and I had the police called on me. Yeah, wow. So yeah, that isn't the best feeling, I imagine. No, so um, I ended up getting dragged by the police to hospital when I wasn't even feeling suicidal to begin with. Like I just wanted to talk about suicidal thoughts mm. that I was having, but I wasn't intending to act on them. Mm. and got dragged to a hospital and in a hospital they got mad at me for wasting their time when I didn't even want to be there to begin with yeah. and they told me to go home but the police had brought me to hospital I didn't have my wallet on me didn't have my keys my car or anything mm. so I had to walk home which was like several suburbs away and by the end of that I actually was feeling more <laughs> suicidal because of yeah. the way that they treated me mm. And then how about, like, we've talked about a bunch of different stuff. Is there anything that you feel like we missed or you wanted to touch on a little bit more? I think um, I just wanted to talk a bit about why we think that this approach is so needed from, I guess, more of our community's point of view, because I've talked a bit about why this approach is needed from my lived experience, but from our, what our community has told us. Mm. Um, so when we did that, those surveys uh, in 2020, we deliberately made um, the definition of trauma really broad because I think that it is broad. Um, And we included things like homelessness, intergenerational trauma, vicarious trauma, um, trauma from mental health services. And by doing that, we found a lot of people ticking those boxes. So it was really, really highly correlated to feeling suicidal. And when we've talked to our community about what does trauma feel like? Um, and we've used that wide lens or that wide definition, including things like oppression as well, so racism or um, transphobia or homophobia. People have used, said a lot of different words. So they've said about feeling lonely or feeling out of control. Um, but when we boil it down, it does seem like trauma makes people feel a loss of power and control. Mm. And The reason that we talk about that is because, like, as our survey showed, even though it's not not every person who's experienced suicide has trauma, a lot do, enough do to consider it as a factor. And when we think about 
our communities telling us trauma feels like a loss of power and control and we realize that the system currently um treats people who are suicidal by taking their power and control away it just doesn't make any sense Mm. so alternatives to suicide groups exist to really reverse that and to say here's some power back here's some control back you can choose whether or not you come we're never going to call emergency services on you never going to do a risk assessment Uh, that's not to say people might not come to our groups, feel still distressed after, and then choose to go to the ED, maybe even with someone else from the group. That would be a choice that they made rather than something that's enforced Mm. on them. And that's really an important distinction, I think. People still, some people find medication works for them or they find that this current mental health system works for them. But there's a choice that they're making Mm. because it aligns with their values or, or their needs. Whereas we we never want to force that on people, especially not people who've experienced a lifetime of trauma where they have had lots of things forced on them or a lot of their power taken away. We want to give them some power back and say, what's what's going to work best for you? Like what's worked in the past? Is there somewhere you've been where you haven't felt suicidal or mm. something that you've done where you haven't felt suicidal in that moment? Mm. And um, a great story that Sarah, Sarah is one of the founders of this approach from the Wildflower Alliance, um, one that she shares is um, she had someone that she was working with who, well, they actually, she wasn't working with them formally. They contacted her about feeling suicidal through the Facebook, I think. And they, he had uh, consistently said to her, you're not listening to me. I'm going to suicide. You're not listening to me. Um, And she realised that even though she was trying to, take a peer approach and and be very mutual she had been hoping that she would find the right words to save Mm -hmm. him so she'd still been taking that sort of savior role she'd been hoping that there would be some secret Mm -hmm. words that she could say that would save his life so she finally after many weeks I think of of having these conversations with him said okay I believe you I believe that you are going to suicide Mm -hmm. is there something that you would like to do before you die and then what they ended up doing together is planning a, a show of his photography that he did as a hobby. Mm-hmm. And by the end of planning the show together and talking about what pieces they wanted to include, he didn't want to die anymore. And I've seen that same sort of thing happen with people that I've done peer work with mm-hmm. um, and also in older groups that mm-hmm. when you really resign um, yourself to not having any power or influence over someone. Uh, I remember in, a, in, in our Altazoo group, I was trying to sway the conversation um, to like talking about positive things because it's getting pretty dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was doing that from a place where I was like, yeah, I guess I wanted to like be the saviour or, or point out the good things that there are to live for in life. Mm-hmm. But um, so it was good intention, but someone in the group pulled me up on it and they said, hey, actually... Having suicide as an option is really important to me. It lets me feel like I have control. And I said, Aura, actually you've reminded me that when I was feeling in a really dark place, having a date set for my suicide was really important. And so we went back to talking about that dark thing. And what ended up happening is that everyone in the group, I think about six or seven people, shared these similar experiences and by the end no one felt as heavy as they did coming into the group 
because it all shared in the darkness, they'd sat in the dark together. Mm. And so if I had been successful in steering the conversation to something light and fluffy, mm. they wouldn't have had that connection and they would have left potentially feeling even more isolated, like I couldn't talk about the things that I needed to. Mm. Yeah. It's really cool. And then the very last question, mm -hmm. we're asking all the guests on this podcast, because um, since it's called On The Arc, after the acronym for um, this organisation, yes. um, if there was one thing you would take and one thing you would leave behind from the help you've received, oh, yeah. what would it be? Or, like, what would they be? Uh, take and leave behind. Yeah. Um, I think one of the people that I think was so... I mean, I had a lot of people over the years who really helped me when I was feeling distressed. But one mm -hmm. of the people that I often think about is that there was a period where I couldn't afford to go see my psychologist mm -hmm. and um, I could barely afford my medication. It was really like rough time financially for me and I needed help. Um, mm. And so I had a GP registrar who I um, got to see and she would let me see her for free, so bulk build, mm -hmm. um, as often or as little as I wanted to. So mm -hmm. um, usually once a week, but sometimes mm -hmm. twice. And I would go in and I would bring her um, art uh, that I'd done and we would mm -hmm. talk about what it meant. And sometimes we would talk about things unrelated to mental health, mm -hmm. but really she was just a hold space for me. Mm -hmm. And I do remember that one time um, she was so transparent with me uh, she said to me, um, look, I know that you're an intelligent person and I also know that you love to Google things <laughs> and you would know that the medication that you've been prescribed is mm. a lethal means. Um, she mm. said, but I'm not going to take it away from you. And mm. so she gave me that dignity of risk. She said, mm. I'm not going to make you have it in a Webster pack from the chemist mm. or anything mm. like that. I'm going to trust you with it and I'm going to let you know that I'll be really sad if you died. Mm. Um, mm. and I really want to see you again next week but mm. I think you've had so many of your rights taken away that I want to give you control over this one mm. and her doing that and being so transparent revolutionary for me so different to how yeah. people had treated me in the mental health system and I just I never took an overdose of that medication I just kept coming back and seeing her each mm. week and connecting with her mm. and I think her treating me like a human being yeah like a human yeah, yeah, giving me that dignity and being really vulnerable with me, telling me mm -hmm. that she cared about me, that was, yeah, just life-changing. And I try to be like she was she was to me for mm -hmm. other people that I support. And mm -hmm. um, what thing that I would give away, did you say? Or like thing leave I behind. Keep, if the wind was flooding, I'd go to leave it behind. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, forced treatment. So mm -hmm. um, in uh, over in Europe, they... I wish that I remembered which country it was exactly. Um, but one of the countries has outlawed the use of antipsychotic medication um, by force. So if someone is not willing to use it, they don't have to use it, mm. which is wild, like yeah. unheard of here in Australia. And yeah. so they don't mandate that people have to take this medication if they don't want to, all voluntary. And um, what they've found is that mental health has really improved in the community. And so I think if we got rid of force altogether in mental health, if people got to choose whether or not they took medication, whether or not they went to hospital, I just mm. think that would be so different, the world that we live in. Yeah, agreed. <laughs>
Um, thanks so much for agreeing to come on our first episode. No worries. And, yeah, just hanging out and having this very amazing chat as always. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of On The Arc. I hope you've enjoyed it. And yeah, we'll include some extra um, information in the show notes. And yeah, hope you'll join us next time.